Rice Eccles Stadium will be packed this Saturday as the Southern Utah Thunderbirds come up to play the University of Utah Utes. But how will the Utes go about attacking the Thunderbirds in this matchup? We're talking about on today's Locked On Utes. You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Lockdown Utes your first listen every single day. We do greatly appreciate it. My name is JT Wistersill, former student intern inside the University of Utah Athletic Department, now the host of Lockdown Utes. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code LOCK to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Once again, that's Upside. So, So on today's show, we're going to be talking about Southern Utah coming up here, the home opener for the Utes, what this team looks like, what we expect to happen, and how we expect the Utes to attack Southern Utah. And as you guys might have been able to guess, there is not a locked on Thunderbird. So thought we'd do the next best thing and bring on their television play-by-play voice, Spencer McLaughlin, who is also the host of the Locked On Pac-12 podcast and the Locked On Ducks. So Spencer, appreciate you joining us today. And this is an interesting Southern Utah team because it's a team that even one game into the season already matched their win total from a season ago, having new head coach in there in coach Fitzgerald who's helped reshape this Thunderbirds team already there's a lot of new transfers in there a lot of new pieces and I think this look Utah obviously has the edge in pretty much every match measure of this matchup so it's going to be interesting to see where the Utes want to attack this team but I am curious just to hear what you your thoughts were after watching them in their first game and what kind of a team they're getting coming up to Rice Eccles because I tried to check them out and I couldn't even find the highlights on YouTube Spencer. <laughs> yeah it's like that you'd have to go to ESPN plus and you can hear me on there so if you don't want to suffer through that then just put it on mute and and, and such but yeah for those of you uh, know me from locked on pack 12 uh, that's kind of my my day job doing the TV play-by-play for SUU and it's a football team that a year ago it couldn't have been that much worse they could have been 0 and 11 I, I suppose but they were one in ten last year they they let go of uh, Demario Warren, who's now on Andy Avalos's staff at Boise State as the running backs coach, and they bring in Delane Fitzgerald from now Division Two, formerly Division Three, Frostburg State, where all he did was win, and that's why Southern Utah sought him out as their head football coach to to change the culture, to turn it around, and that's what he's done in his two stops at Southern Virginia and Frostburg State as a head coach, and now he's getting his first Division One chance at uh, SUU. I, I think when you look at this matchup, the the talent gap is obvious. Anytime you have an FBS to FCS uh, differential, it's going to be pretty substantial w- with regards to the talent gap and, and recruiting. And no more is that, nowhere is that more true rather than in the trenches. And Southern Utah has an offensive line that a year ago was good in pass protection but struggled to run block. They lost Braxton Jones from that offensive line, who is now in the Chicago Bears. He was a third or fourth round pick in the 2022 NFL draft. First time Southern Utah's had a player in uh, something like a decade or or so. And this is a Thunderbirds offensive line that in week one against St. Thomas, 
performed very well in the pass blocking sense, but again, they struggled to run the football. And that Utah defensive front that is going to come out hungry after that loss to Florida in which they failed to make stops when they needed to and just could not get off the field in critical spots, they're going to be hungry, I suspect. And they're going to be motivated to to want to show that they are, are better than what they were uh, playing at a week ago. And look, you, you can only prove so much against an FCS opponent, but that's the biggest area where, where Utah's got an advantage. I don't think they'll have to send linebackers to, to stuff the run. And I think that it's going to be a really tough matchup for the Southern Utah offensive line against that Utah front seven that year in and year out is one of the best in the Pac-12. Yeah, I love that you went right to the front seven because especially the defensive line really got pushed around against the Gators. And the Utes had a really tough practice yesterday. Coach Witt and the squad worked them really hard. So I'm sure they're excited to get back out there and put some better tape on, specifically being that defensive line. And yeah, this is where I do think they're going to get after it. They're going to be hungry. It's going to be hard for Southern Utah to establish anything on offense because they're not going to be able to run the ball more than likely. You mentioned how they already struggled versus St. Thomas, obviously a step up here. And even when you drop back, they had success throwing last week. But just something that's going to be difficult when you have a team like the Utes that have pass rushers like Van Fillinger and Junior Tafuna, both of guys who were held in check last week. Van, in particular, had a couple opportunities to some sacks and just let Anthony Richardson slip out of him. So Thunderbirds quarterback Justin Miller might be taken to the ground a couple times. And, yeah, I think offensively is what we know this Utah team. They want to run the ball. They're going to be able to do that. But I really think this Utah team is going to want to build some confidence up with their receivers. We already heard receiver coach Chad Bumpus this week talking about how he wants Devon Bailey to demand the ball with his play. And Solomon has got involved a little bit. But we've been talking so much about this receiving group. And overall, they were pretty quiet in Florida against Gainesville. So I really expect the Utes to try to get the passing game going, look to give those guys opportunities to make play. How do you think the Thunderbirds secondary is going to hold up? Well, it was a question mark going into week one, and I met with Coach Fitz in the lead up to that season opener against St. Thomas that went about as well as Southern Utah could have hoped for. After a terrible start, they allowed 80 yards rushing for a touchdown on the first two plays of the game. Uh, that's how the Delane Fitzgerald era started. It ended with a 44-13 to 13 victory. Uh, that's more what the fans in Cedar City were, were hoping to see. It was also their first home win since 2019, uh, unfortunately, for SCU. It had been a while since they won down uh, at the Eccles Coliseum, and that's the difference for Southern Utah's field. They don't have the rice on there. Uh, with both both got Eccles. I'm going to take a stab and say it's the same guy just, just <laughs> spitballing ideas out there, but when you look at Southern Utah and their secondary, it was a question mark going into week one, but they performed really well. They had a couple of interceptions. They won 1v1s. They had some pass breakups. They tackled pretty well. It was an above-average performance, even from what Coach Fitz and his staff were anticipating going into week one. And I I think the the names you got to look for, Demaje Yancey, a returning starter from a year ago, he had a really nice game against some of Southern or against uh, some of St. Thomas's best wideouts. He he had a penalty or two, but he made plays and, and he covered well, and they all tackled well in space. But the guy you got to watch for in the secondary is Roderick Ward. He had one heck of a debut for for Southern Utah. The safety and Coach Fitz said between the DBs and the safeties, he felt better about. Uh, the the defensive backs, and they were without Cody Coleman, no word yet on whether or not he'll be available. He was supposed to be a starter, and that plunged uh, true freshman Quidier Lockett-Smith 
into action, and he performed really well against St. Thomas. But we all know it's a different animal you're dealing with going up to Salt Lake City, away from your home stadium, and playing a top 15 caliber opponent in Utah. But Roderick Ward is the guy that Cam Rising will have to keep his eye on because he had an interception last week, and he was everywhere. And, and not just in the passing game, in the running game, too. He was all over the field, playing in the box, playing over the top. He wasn't in man coverage a lot, but he, he was really, really active on that back end. I think those are the guys that, that Utah has to worry about the most, as much as you have to be concerned uh, with an FCS opponent. Yeah, it's one of those things where you can't just get confident and be like, I'm just going to throw a 50-50 ball up kind of lazily and see if my guy can win it because these guys are still capable of making plays, as you mentioned, and they're coming off a week in which they're confident. So it's going to be fun to see that battle, see that these corners are coming in with some confidence, so they're not going to shy away from that challenge, and it'll be interesting to see if these Utah receivers can attack them. Now, of course, the Utes coming off a hard loss to the Florida Gators, falling to 0-1 on the season, but are they still the best team in the Pac-12? We're going to talk about that in just a second but first I want to tell you guys a little bit more about upside from cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant inflation is hitting us all where it hurts and it really hurts that's why I started using upside upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas groceries or dines out with every purchase I'm earning cash back thanks to upside guys upside is a really easy quick app to set up and can help you guys out as well. So make sure you guys head over. It's really easy to get started. Download the free Upside app and use the promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of more than $10. Next, claim an offer for wherever you're buying on Upside. Check in at the businesses, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and get paid. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week, earning an earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the app store. So download the free upside app and use promo code locked to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase or $10 more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code locked. So once again, that is upside. We appreciate them sponsoring this show. Now, looking at things from the Pac-12's perspective, the Pac-12 took a hit, obviously, losing a couple tough games, and we're going to talk about them as it pertains to the college football playoff in our final segment today. But first, really want to talk about if Utah is still the best team in the Pac-12 by talking about how the other two teams who were perceived as the best teams fared in their opening week performances. So starting out with the Oregon Ducks, well, Spencer, as you know, that one didn't quite go to plan. People thought that <laughs> didn't think the Ducks were necessarily going to win, but they thought they'd be more competitive. But I'll also say as well, I came out of that game more impressed with Georgia than disappointed with Oregon. Did you feel the same way? I wish I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I did. It was a little bit of both, uh, yeah, frankly. Sure. I, I didn't feel it in a major way this way or that way because I watched Georgia and I just thought, man, that's – that's just a machine. That that is a clinical football pr program that that is just you know kind of rinse and repeat, and, and they know the drill and they know how to operate and they execute at a high level. And, and the big thing about this game, to me early on, was that Oregon just didn't execute and Georgia did, and then it snowballed. And when you have a talent deficit the way that Oregon did, even for a team that recruits at a high level like the Ducks. It's still not on Georgia's level, and Kirby Smart said it. He is correct. Georgia had better players in this game, but yeah. Georgia did not have 49-3 to 
better players in this game. There are other Pac-12 teams that Georgia could beat 49-3, to and you'd say, yeah, from a talent perspective, they just didn't have a chance to compete. No, Oregon has the dogs to compete a little. Probably not beat Georgia mm-hmm. at this point in time, but you've got four NFL players on your defense. Brandon Dorless, maybe Popo Almavai, though he did not play, but Dorless is a defensive tackle, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, five-star recruits, future NFL linebackers, and Christian Gonzalez, the corner. That should have been enough for you to not allow seven touchdowns in seven drives. That was really disappointing, especially with Lanning and Lupoy coming in, the background they have on the defensive side of the ball. It should have been better. It was sloppy tackling. They got out-schemed. Georgia really didn't even do anything that exemplary. And I was listening to uh, a Ducks podcast, another one, not not my own. I don't go back and listen to my own shows because I'm not that narcissistic. But anyway, um, I was listening when they were talking about how, you know, Georgia really did something very well that you attribute to coaching. And that's take away what Oregon's strength were on the defensive side of the ball. Who are the guys I just mentioned? Oregon's best defensive players, Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. What are they really good at? Stopping the run. What did Georgia do very well in this game? They threw it very well. They got the ball out on the perimeter. The thing about having elite linebackers, it's not that it can't be a benefit to your defense. It can be. But the reason in this world of football at the NFL and collegiate level, there's a lot of attention paid to cornerbacks and defensive ends is because those positions are how you slow down a high-level passing attack and prevent the easy ones. And Oregon was at a deficit in those spots compared to what Georgia was bringing offensively. So Georgia, they were very smart. They looked at the Oregon defense and said, those two guys are really good. Why would we try and run at them when we can just throw the ball away from them? And coverage is not what neither Sewell nor Flo, who hasn't played a lot of college football and had a couple of missed assignments in there, it's not what they do particularly well anyway. And so it was a big ta- talent deficit for sure, but it was not a 49 to three talent deficit. It was a coaching deficit that allowed Oregon to see this game, just get away from him and, and allowed Georgia to, to pull away and put up the score that they did. Cause Oregon moved the ball. You go watch, go back and watch 100%. the first couple of drives, even throughout the game. They didn't have a three and out until late in the second half. Mm-hmm. Like they were not having issues moving the ball. They were having problems executing. And that comes down to coaching. There was a sequence where two Oregon guys ran into each other in the backfield. Bonix's really bad interception was not a particularly well-executed, sharp-looking play. And it was a little predictable. And then the other interception he threw, I didn't have a problem with him taking a shot. But why are we taking a shot to a 5'7", 5'8", guy who is just learning how to play receiver? That's not how... You want to take a a deep shot, the type Oregon fans were waiting to see uh, after last year when it hardly happened at all. So I I, I just think when you look at that game, yes, Georgia was very good, but Oregon was not at their best, not even close to what they are capable of being. And the biggest reason, in my view, is that they got outcoached, and that's what you should expect at this point, right? I mean, Kirby Smart, you shouldn't expect it's 49-3. to I certainly didn't, but... You should expect that general trend in that particular game because you have Kirby Smart, who's in year, what, six, seven at, at, at Georgia? Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's been there for a really long time. They have continuity. They have a quarterback who's returning that just won a national championship. He's got chemistry with receivers, and all of that is new for the Ducks, and it showed big time down in Atlanta. 
Yeah, and I, I I can tell you've looked at this and studied this game, obviously. Not just because locked on you. I just you know I'm just barren and grinning yeah. and suffering through it. I'm like I got I gotta watch. Like I gotta understand what happened here. Mm-hmm. And you know I've been trying to put Oregon fans at, at ease as best I can with uh with, with my show because. It, it worries people and it's understandable, right? Am I more concerned about how this season will play out now than before the season? Yeah, of course. But am I panicked about it? No, N- no. Last year, Georgia beat Arkansas 37 to nothing. Beat them 37 to nothing. Arkansas went eight and four in the SEC, won their bowl game, went nine and four. Some good wins too. Georgia. Yeah. With really good wins on that, on that schedule. Georgia is just better right now. That's something you have to keep in mind. But Oregon should have been better and needs to be better going forward if they're going to compete in the Pac-12. Yeah, and that's what will be interesting to watch to see is how do they respond after that first game. Because as you mentioned, the offense did move the ball. I mean, you're looking six, seven, 12 play drives that just for one reason or another, whether it's a turnover or just eventually not being able to get a first down, just weren't able to finish those out, which is what's so disheartening. But you come back now, and Georgia was the team. I think when you're talking about the top three teams in college football, people were looking at Alabama and Ohio State one and two. Large reasons for that was the quarterbacks, but there's other really talented pieces there. I think people looked at how many – pieces that Georgia lost defensively and were a little lower on them and they proved that they firmly belong in the first tier with those teams after that impressive performance. Also, when you talk about just people who put a lot of stock in the recruiting rankings like right when guys come in and that is important because it sets them up for potential. Watch how Bo Nix played in this game versus Stepson Bennett, two very different guys with college paths and it was very clear who was the better quarterback in this contest. Now, Looking at things from USC's perspective, the Trojans had a really strong opening performance as they should versus Rice. 66 to 14, of course, Caleb Williams looked incredible. Amir, excuse me, Addison had some unbelievable performances as well. Dai did some things as well. But this was not, you know, this Rice team still had a couple moments where they were able to move the ball a little bit or just some things that you look at like, I mean, it wasn't like a complete domination or lights out. So how do you feel about this USC team? Because this is where I'll say right here, I feel good about this USC team, but I definitely still feel like Utah is the best team in the Pac-12. I don't feel like any of these teams that we've just talked about could have gone into Florida and even had a chance to win it on that final play. So I still really like this Utah team because of that returning talent, the coaching, and I know they missed a bunch of tackles, but that's such an easy, correctable mistake that I think this team is really going to emphasize. And we're still a month away from when these two teams meet. So because of all that experience and just how long these guys have been playing together, the coaching trust I have in Kyle Whittingham and his staff versus Lincoln Riley, it's not even all of his guys in there yet, first year with the program. I still feel like the Utes are the team to beat in this conference. Yeah, I, I'd keep Utah on top uh, for now. Is that subject to change? Sure, but sure. I, I do still feel good about where Utah is at, and my pick for the preseason was for Utah to repeat as Pac-12 champs. I still feel that that's the case. I mean, they just didn't execute in a couple key moments or else they beat Florida, and we're not talking ab- about any of this, right? The rest of the team, uh, aside from the defense in a couple spots, looked the way we expected them to. The offense moved the ball. Cam Rising made throws when he needed to, used his legs when he had to, and Utah looked like a team that was in control for a majority of the game, a vast majority of the game. 
down in Florida. And I agree with you. I don't know how many teams could go down there and have a chance to win it. And you say they, well, they, they should have won mm-hmm. uh, the game. And I don't know if, if USC is there yet. They looked the part against Rice. We'll see how they perform against Stanford this week. I think that's going to be a much better barometer for how to feel about USC going forward for uh, the rest of the season. But the upside, if you're a Trojans fan, you know, I was doing Pac-12 winners and losers uh, on uh, yesterday's show of uh, Locked On Pac-12, and I had USC in the lean winner category, and I had them in the same uh, category there as Washington in that good teams look a certain way against inferior opponents, and that's how they looked. But I can't put you in the full-on winner category where your fan base should be celebrating and there's big optimism and it's you know, a semi-season changing or a perception changing week the way Oregon State and Arizona had over over the weekend in the Pac-12. I can't put you there because you're playing a team that you're supposed to beat. And so for USC, you know, if the, if they keep scoring points at, at a high level, you know, 60 points against Rice, if that's good for 30 or more against a Pac-12 defense, you know, any given uh, defense in this conference, then yeah, they'll probably win a good number of games. I have them winning nine in uh, the regular season. I would not have touched their over-under win total going into yeah. this year because it was nine and a half and bring a bowl game into play. And I'm just like, no, that no, I'm staying completely, completely away from from all of that. So I, I think we, you know, week one is for observations, not conclusions. And I think you can say that about week two, week three and four is when you can start to make some definitive conclusions about players and teams and how the rest of the season may very well uh, play out. But uh, the observation for USC in week one is they look good and that's the way they were supposed to look. And now they get a real test in, in Stanford or at least a Pac-12 test in uh, the Cardinal, and we'll see how they're able to measure up. But right now, I've still got the Utes number one in the conference. As do I. And, I mean, we just you just touched on it there with that Stanford game. It is fun that we get some Pac-12 action teams going against each other in the second week. I do feel like the Trojans are going to win this one, even though it's technically a road game in, say, a little bit. I just feel good about Caleb Williams. Jordan Addison, as I was stumbling over his name earlier. I just This Trojans team, I think this is the kind of matchup with the Stanford team in a very different standpoint here. Maybe if this was later in the season and the Trojans maybe were a little more inflated from some successes they had, I could see a Stanford upset here. I feel like the Trojans are going to take care of business in this one. Yeah, I, I do too. And I didn't put it in my Pac-12 prime picks for this week, which got off to a rough start in week one on the show. <laughs> I went 0-3. Um, but if I if I had to choose between USC minus 9 or Stanford with the points at home, I would take USC. The, the question in this game, and I think the biggest pivot point, is how Stanford decides to play offense. And, and what I mean by that is, They've got an NFL caliber quarterback in Tanner McKee. Are they going to let him drop back 35 to 40 times and try to keep pace against a USC defense that's you know still not going to be that good? Even with a couple transfers and a new defensive coordinator, they won't be great. They could be better, perhaps, but they're not going to be very good. It's not like Oklahoma had a bunch of great defenses when Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch were over there, and it's the same tandem now at USC. Mm-hmm. And they haven't had the time to bring in you know significantly better players than what they've had in past season. So does Stanford want to let Tanner McKee throw it 35 to 40 or 45 times and try and win a shootout? Or are they confident enough that they could run the football, control the clock and win in an old school Stanford fashion where you have an explosive offense on the other side, but if you only get seven drives in a game because Stanford controls the ball for 34 to 40 minutes of it, then 
that's a formula for Stanford to win. And I think that's going to be the most interesting element of this game to look at is how does David Shaw want to see his team win this game? Is it going to be somewhere in the middle? I think you have to pick a lane. Honestly, yeah. I, I, I don't think you can do some sort of in between like, well, we want to be explosive and, and air it out on this drive, but then, you know, go ground and pound here. I think you have to pick a philosophy and commit to it uh, unless that philosophy was controlling the clock and running the football a lot. And and then you're down 14, nothing. Then you have to kind of throw your way back into it, so to speak. But I would suspect Stanford might actually want to take the ball first if they win the coin toss. And, and see if they can, you know, really draw out a drive to wear down the USC defense and just make the offense stand around because sometimes the best defense is a good offense. And uh, that, that's what I'll be looking for in this game. Definitely excited for uh, a Pac-12 game this early in the season. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And like you mentioned, it will be interesting to see if they can keep the Trojans offense off the field for large stretches, how that might cause Caleb Williams to start to press a little bit or for them to be more aggressive. Either way, it's going to be a fun matchup. One thing that is obviously getting talked about now with pack with two the two highest ranked Pac-12 teams losing in the first week is the Pac-12 as I'm sure you've heard Spencer is done out of the college football playoff once again. But I think we are both here to say that is completely false because especially I'm looking at down the road when this we're in November when it's prime like college football playoff, which is the biggest first thing, by the way. We don't even know how the college football committee feels about this. We just have AP rankings and coaches poll. The committee does their own thing every single time. So it's a long time till we figure out how they feel about the Pac-12 team still. And there's a lot of football to be played then. And well, if I'm starting out with Utah, I think it's pre- I can already see Reese Davis sitting up there like, you know, you this is a Utah team that's really rolling and their only loss of the season was a game they had a chance to win on the final play. So that is a good loss to me. And they're still going to be in that conversation if they take care of business. Now, of course they have to go perfect the rest of the way. Can't lose another game. You're not letting a two loss team into the college football playoff, but this is a Utah team that's still going to be in the running for that. And I feel that way about USC as well. Let's say they lose the game to Utah coming up later in the season, or maybe they win it as well. It's still a one-loss team that if you're a one-loss conference champion, you'll have a really good shot to get into it. Now, Oregon has like the slimmest of lights on. I I talked about with you, Spencer, on your pod last week to still get in. Just in terms of their hope would be Georgia's the best team in the country. They make a lot of people look like this. And then Oregon obviously has to run the table as well. Probably not going to happen, but it's not like you're completely done being 0-1, but I still feel like the Pac-12 still has a chance to make the college football playoff. Those chances undoubtedly took a hit, but these teams are not dead. They're not dead, but they're encroaching life support because of how week one has gone. I think from Oregon's perspective, what you see is a crushing loss, of course, to Georgia in that they got crushed, not the way that Utah's loss was crushing. But what that tells all of us is Oregon doesn't have the team this year that could run the table. Now, Utah does. Utah does. Doing it, different matter, right? They've got to play UCLA. They've got to play Utah. They've got to play Oregon. They've got to play the rest of the teams in the Pac-12. That's a pretty tough place to be in. And they certainly set themselves back losing that game down at Florida. Did they rule themselves out of it? No. But it kind of seems like the best shot the Pac-12 might have right now to get into the playoff is USC just because they they don't have a loss yet. And if they were to go 11-1, and one, that just seems more likely at this point in time than Utah going 11-1. and one. You talk about an 11-game winning streak versus USC could win their first five, lose one, 
and then win their next six, right? And, and that just seems a lot more feasible to me. And USC has a schedule from a strength of schedule uh, perspective that should allow them to be in the conversation if they do that. But the problem for the Pac-12 writ large is that if USC is your best chance, you think a team's going to go from four and eight to 11 and one or 12 and one, you'd have to win the, uh, the Pac-12 championship game to get in there too. That's asking a lot, right? I, I think Oregon is definitely out. I don't know if there's a dark horse that, that could make a run to get in there. Maybe a UCLA or Oregon State, but I, I just I, I doubt it unless they have a truly magical season. I think those teams are good. I don't think they're getting into the playoff. And Utah's road is just really, really tough. No one's ever gone undefeated in Pac-12 play. Um, last team to be undefeated in the pack was Oregon 2010 when they went nine and zero. but that's before you had Utah and Colorado in there. That's part of the reason yeah. it's been tough is Utah has been a, a good team. And so I, I just think it's asking too much. And right now kind of seems like they're going to be left out again. And it sucks for, it sucks for us as pack 12 fans, but I just don't foresee how either Utah can win 12 games in a row because they'd have to win the conference championship championship game right so either utah's winning 12 in a row or usc is going to go from four and eight to 12 and one i can't i can't see it it is extremely difficult after what this utah team accomplished last year all the things they overcame i'm not ready to say anything's out of the question for them but it is undoubtedly that the odds are definitely in their favor especially because as you mentioned they're once again just trying to do things that haven't been done before but um, I don't know if a team's ever started the season one and two as well and gone on to win the Pac-12 championship. So chance for this Utah team to start to make history once again, it will be interesting to see. And there's two sides to the one loss coin. On one hand, it's incredibly hard to win all those games in a row. But on the other hand, it is so much better to lose early in the season because your thoughts and perceptions about a team always grow and change as that team does as well. So it's a lot easier to overlook a loss at the start of the season than it is a loss late in the season because a loss late in the season, that reflects who and more this team is currently how do you feel about that Spencer I I agree with you and and that is certainly a a reality in the college football rankings with uh, with the playoff committee and I think that that's uh, a a decent way to go about it the other thing too about this loss being early in the year is we can't say for certain I know how I feel about it and that it was a brutal loss for Utah even worse loss for the Pac-12 yes to have not gotten that victory but if Florida has a big turnaround this year and wins nine, 10 games at the end of the year in the regular season, that loss is not going to be very punitive. So if you're a Utah fan, you're now a Florida fan. I know you yes. might, all you Utes fans out there might resent the Gators a little bit. You need to become a Florida sure. fan now. That's the way that this has to work if the Utes are going to be back in that playoff discussion is if they have that one in the loss column as the season goes on, but you look up and that one, that one loss is to a Florida team that's, heck, an eight-win SEC team would would been okay. But if Florida wins nine games, I think Utah could be above them in the rankings, but it's still viewed as a respectable loss. And how that how that game is viewed two months from now, we can't know until Florida's season plays out. Such a good point. So make sure you guys, when you're not cheering on the Utes. Also cheer on the Gators a little bit because it very much does help this conference. Yeah, get the chops going. (laughs) (laughs) You got to have it basically at this point if you are the U.S. need to help. Hey, and it starts this week as well. I mean, they get Kentucky. That's a top 20 team as well. Yep, exactly. If they lose that game 
to Kentucky, people look up and go, boy, that's not great for Utah. But if they beat Kentucky, people look up and go, hey, Florida's 2-0, and and they beat a preseason top 20 team. Mm-hmm. That's going to turn heads. Billy Napier and Anthony Richardson, we hope they can get it done for the sake of the Utes 100%. Guys, we thank you for once again making Locked On Utes your first listen every day. And also, with the NFL season right around the corner, literally starts later tonight actually, for your second listen, we recommend you checking out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022. It's an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season, where local team experts of the Locked On Podcast Network, plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked On Bets, all combine into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app or YouTube or, or as well as wherever you get your podcast. A lot of places to check out the NFL. There's always lots of change there, just like there's always lots of change as the college football season wears on. So make sure you guys do check out Spencer McLaughlin at Twitter, at Smalls underscore 55, and Locked On Pac-12, as well as Locked On Ducks, because always good to know your enemies. And we appreciate you flashing the U as well, Spencer. Thank you again for joining us. Guys, thank you for listening in to Locked On Utes. Have a great rest of your day.